Hello, friends. I'm Steve, and today I'm joined with two very special guests, the authors of Seasons of Abaddon, Christopher Warman and Elon Marche. How did I do? You did pretty well. You did pretty well. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Good. I wanted to make sure I pronounce everyone's names properly, but I want to thank you both for coming to uh, coming to chat with me this Friday. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, it's uh, our first interview, so we're, we're you know kind of on the nervous side, but I think we'll do we'll do okay. We'll see. <laughs> oh, don't give it a go. Yeah. You know. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, don't uh, don't be nervous. It's it's really relaxed and just easy going. So unwind for the, from the week. So hi, how's everybody you doing tonight in the chat? Thanks for coming by to chat with us. And uh, so I started reading. It's been on my list to read for a long time, Seasons of Abaddon, and. I wanted to get to it, and I was surprised there's some really emotional beats that I was not expecting mm. that really get you that I didn't see coming. So uh, what were the inspirations for the book? What what kind of went into it, or what was the process for it? Uh, well, it, it's kind of an interesting one. First of all, yeah, uh, people never seem to expect the emotional beats. If uh, w One thing that I've learned, actually, from writing a book is to make the cover match the tone because uh, I think a lot of people kind of expected kind of a YA yeah young, uh, adult. Yeah, young adult type yeah. novel from this cover which I love the cover uh, Tim Kelly TK Prince on Instagram he's awesome uh, a good friend of mine uh, but yeah definitely try to match the cover to the tone next time <laughs> because yeah there are some heavier uh, emotional beats on uh, in this book that you wouldn't expect um, but as far as uh, inspiration and and how it all kind of got started is uh, originally I used to work at kind of a sit down office job and I had a lot of time uh, and I always wanted to write a fantasy novel. So uh, I started writing one that was, you know, very big in scope uh, and that got very tedious. I was obviously reading uh, Song of Ice and Fire at the time and that was kind of the inspiration is write something with a lot of characters, very complex, get really into this big scope uh, fantasy epic. Uh, and then I got really bored of that and it got really tedious to kind of try to pull the strings all together. So I was like, no, 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 let's scale it down. If I'm going to write something, let's let's make it be something, uh, something really small scale in a very small location with very few characters. And uh, that got me thinking, what are the characters that no other fantasy book really covers? And it's, you know, it, it's all the people that are, I like to think of it as like the NPCs. So I, I kind of started writing it with that in mind is let's, you know, one of them is an enchantress or an, an apprentice enchantress. And she's not, you know, the, the magic isn't very, you know, expansive in this world. So it's very low, low scale magic. Uh, another character is a foreman. He's just building something in the woods. Another character is just this alcoholic father. And uh, yeah. And then another character is just this, uh, uh, this, this woman and her baby. And uh, so I, I really wanted to keep it really small scale and uh, not too long. And, and that was the inspiration for it. And so I started writing it and eventually actually lost my job um, February 2020, uh, right when the pandemic hit. And uh, I, at first, you know, you kind of celebrate with an unemployment where you think you're going to go back to the office and it keeps getting deferred and deferred. And then eventually the reality set in that, no, this is this is my life now. I don't have a job. And so I, I really kind of got going with it. And I was like, if, I, if I'm going to write something, it's got to be now. So I kind of really, you know, d uh, dove into it. And my wife, Elan, she, at first it was a solo thing. And then eventually I started explaining the story to her and she got really into it and 
she started suggesting some things and yeah no i was i was really intrigued because i i got to see the process towards the end so like after he'd already figured out he didn't want to go with the typical main figures of a fantasy story um and he'd already decided to go with this kind of glimpse into the daily lives of the characters that would normally be in the background and I found that really, really fascinating. Um, and once he he lost his job and I was working from home, um, I kind of jumped in and I was like, well, you know, I'll just do some because I, I have a bachelor's degree in English literature. So I was oh, like, cool. you know what, I'll be your grammar pass. I'll just kind of, you know, make sure everything is readable and makes sense. Um, but I started to really fall in love with just the idea behind the story. I really um, you know, as someone who like has read a lot of literature, I liked the idea and was immediately attracted to, you know, what can we do in this genre that's unexpected and that focuses on some characters that you normally, you know, they wouldn't be the feature of a story. So that's, I think, what got me into it. Yeah, it got to the point where it just didn't, because originally it had the cover with my name on it and it just didn't feel fair to just have my name on it. I was like, no, this... This is a collaborative effort at this point, so it became, uh, you know, a, a co-authorship, and uh, it was very exciting to actually write something with someone and bounce off ideas. And uh, she was my, I don't know, world-building uh, person. She would say, you know, she would stop and read a sentence and say, "Yeah, but how could we make this sound like it's in this world?" Like yeah. a, a lot of times, as a writer, you kind of get stuck in these pre-made sentences. Um, uh, you know, cliches. cliches like a lot of what yeah. I would do is like, okay, but what if this cliche existed in this universe? What would they say? Yeah. And yeah. So she she really gave she voice to that. a lot of the characters beyond what I had originally written. I think that's really neat that you collaborated on the book together and it's produced it. That's really cool. And I want to say congratulations because I noticed on social media that you were uh, married recently, right? Yeah. 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 Well. So we okay. It's weird. We we got married in May. We actually had our wedding, uh, but we just recently last month celebrated our one year wedding anniversary oh. because we got legally married before we actually did the ceremony. Um, yeah, so we August. Got, yeah, we got COVIDed with our mm. wedding. Um, it was really unfortunate because we had been together at that time for 10 years and we had talked beforehand about intentionally waiting to do our ceremony and to get married when we had raised up enough money to have this huge wedding, we wanted to have a big wedding. Uh, and we decided that the perfect year for that was 2020. Awesome planning, right? Right. <laughs> and the, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men do often go astray. And that certainly was the case for us. Yeah. Hindsight is 2020. And... <laughs> Literally 2020. So, um, yeah, we, we ended up postponing our wedding and we had a much smaller um, kind of ceremony with just our family. Uh, that was like a little private signing kind of thing. It was really funny. My mom uh, insisted on making us ball caps that were embroidered with uh, the, you know, our last name initials um, because she was like, well, it's like signing day for sports. I'm not a sports <laughs> person, so that was lost on me. But we did get new hats, which was great. <laughs> you can never have enough hats. Right, right. Yeah. Yep. It's always nice to have hats. That's really great, and and uh, you mentioned this the, the smaller scale uh, fantasy, and that, for me, I've been reading a lot of really heavy, multiple POVs, and and it's fine, it's fine, and everything. But this book was like a breath of fresh air because it was small, contained, and 
there was enough characters to keep it interesting, but not too many to to get lost and to be overwhelming. There was no info dumps. It was just telling stories around the around the area. So that's what I really loved about it. Yeah, it was uh, in, in that aspect. It was kind of uh, one of the early inspirations was definitely you know like grim fairy tales rather than being inspired by things like a song of ice and fire, wheel of time, like these big epic you know fantasies. It was let's let's really get down to the nitty gritty. Um, each story, it's not that they have a lesson that they teach you at the end, but they do feel self-contained and you know the character does have a kind of a mini arc um kind of like grim fairy tales and and that was really mm -hmm. like a, a big inspiration actually uh, the first story uh that was written for that was the second one uh the the one that takes place in winter uh, a father uh, uh and I, I don't know if you've gotten through most of it uh, yet but i am i'm uh, i one season away i'm about okay. 40 pages before yeah yeah, the, the second season was actually uh, written before all of those, like way before, uh, like in what, 2016, 2017? Yeah. No, 2016, that, yeah. That one went through a lot of iterations because originally we'd actually done it back when I was in film school. Mm. Uh, I tried to make it as a film project and uh, we meddled with that for a little bit and it ended up not actually coming to fruition. And so we just kind of tabled it for a long time and and to be honest, that one was really cathartic to work through as a story um, because I'd failed at it as a director. <laughs> and so it was nice to take a second stab at it and and really do the work of finding the character, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of refit it within this world yeah. because we, we love that story so much and it kind of felt... Uh, I don't know. It felt incomplete. It, yeah, like it, we'd, it, yeah, we'd started this project. We tried to do a Kickstarter to raise money for a film. It never ended up happening. And it was just kind of sitting there as this unfinished creative vision. And so it just was so satisfying to finally make that into something. It must be pretty frustrating to have it just sitting there waiting to be read. Yeah. Waiting to, oh, yeah. waiting to do something with it. <laughs> yeah. And, and we had shot like what a good... 30% of it. Oh, yeah. yeah you know, I had oh, to like wow. actually confront like my kind of trauma around the story from having, you know, failed to make a film of it. Yeah. And like, you know, to come back to it and be like, okay, I've, I've had a failure with this tale before. What was I missing? What, what did it hmm. need to really become something that people would want to watch or, you know, read or be engaged with? Yeah. So that was, that was actually really fun. Yeah. It was, yeah, once we actually got back into it and and it, it, I loved how it fit so neatly into this because whenever I actually started writing it uh, as a book, I wrote uh, season one first and then I started kind of mapping out where it would go. And I thought to myself, wow, this story that we had shelved, it fits so well into this world. And I started kind of writing it as a prose rather than a screenplay because I, mm -hmm. I had originally wrote the screenplay for that. And uh, once I started fleshing it out, I started realizing, wow, this really works in this world. And then I have, uh, spoiler alert, I have Pondle, <laughs> the character, meet a character from the previous season. And that's when it, it suddenly like worked. I was like, oh, th this, this worked. This is the puzzle piece that was missing. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and it, it really did feel cathartic. It felt mm -hmm. really good to release it. And Redima uh, mentioned, I love how folks see the book felt great vibes. Yeah. And I, I, I forgot to mention, I, I mentioned in the chat uh, before the stream, but we will, I will be giving away a copy of the book. You just have to make a swords emoji in the chat and then I'll enter 
your name on my list. And uh, at, towards the end, we'll do a quick uh, little wheel and pick a name. And also, Christopher mentioned before the stream that uh, you'll also be doing a digital copy. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, so just as a fun thing to do for everyone uh, coming by to chat with us. So stay tuned for that. So now you can't leave. You have to watch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Are there any plans to finish the um, the the other the adaptation? Are there plans to continue that? I know you have about thirty percent done. Are there oh, any the uh, any plans in the future? For the like to to film it? Uh, yeah. No, probably I don't not. Think so no, <laughs> I like it so much more as a story. Um, I think, I think honestly, like I was really able to finally connect with the character on that level. Like it's the, the proto version of that story that we were working on as a film is much more shallow, much more straightforward. It lacks a lot of the, the character depth that we were able to find later on. Mm -hmm. I just think it wasn't, it wasn't the right story for the time in our lives that we were at. But when we revisited it later on, we found a lot inside of it. Yeah. I think that was kind of the key. Yeah. Also, just having the experience of writing Handel's point of view rather than just seeing him on a screen and <laughs> seeing the actor act as him, which, you know, no dissing uh, Cass, uh, the guy who played the uh, Handel in the original iteration. He did a fantastic job. Yeah, yeah. He, and he actually embodied the character so well, I, I kept envisioning him as I was writing it. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but getting into Handel's point of view and actually just writing the experience of someone who is dealing with addiction, who's, you know, uh, uh, who feels a constant disappointment to his family and to his peers. And uh, I don't know, that was just much more fulfilling than it was to, you know, just have a screenplay and have someone act it out. It was really fulfilling to get into Handel's head. I really enjoyed that. Really touching uh, season, the story of his uh, arc. So, yeah, it, the end of the first season, there's another uh, reviewer, uh, Benjamin, he's on uh, YouTube and, mm -hmm. and he had he had had a review for the book. And when I, I told him I was reading it, he said, oh, and I told him it's, you know, it's fun and I'm laughing. And he said, just wait, it gets <laughs> darker. And I thought, well, ah, meh, no. And then I got to the end of the first season, like, yeah, it, it got pretty yeah. dark. Why, why wait in, to in have the big, yeah, why wait to have the big twist at the very end of the book when you can have it in the fifth chapter, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why wait? <laughs> so uh, Brandy, my wife is here. She asked, uh, is this your first book? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, for both of us. Uh, yeah. It was something we always, or I at least always wanted to do, was write a fantasy novel. And this was uh, our first attempt at that. And hopefully it was a good one. But it definitely taught us a lot in uh, moving forward and continuing expanding the series. Um, we definitely know where to go from here. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, it was a, it's such an interesting process. And I think we discovered really that we're very complementary as writing partners. Um, I mean, for starters, we have very different taste in what we read. Mm. And um, I think that helps a lot. Like, um, he's a huge fantasy fan. Me, I kind of like character study novels that are a little bit more dry. And I like a lot of nonfiction. <laughs> and so it was really nice because we could balance each other out. You know, he knew what to expect from the genre. And um, for me, I could really come in and I could ask like big thematic questions about like, what are we trying to say here? Or, you know, what it, what is the message we're trying to send? And I think that worked really well. We didn't fight with each other because we weren't approaching the story from the same angle mm -hmm. at all. So 
Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. You kind of balance each other out. Mm-hmm. And uh, Redeem Hub says, uh, turning a failure into into a success, we love to hear it. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. But yeah, on, on, uh, expanding a little bit on uh, that sort of complementary uh, style of writing is, uh, and, and this is you know neither here nor there, but I, I'm one of those people that I do read all the reviews that I get. I, I'm, I'm that petty. I know they always say, <laughs> as a writer, don't, don't read your reviews. You'll get disappointed. But I, I do. I read them all. And, and one of the things that kept coming up was, oh, wow, I couldn't tell where one writer started and the other picked up. And that's hmm. because that's not how we wrote. I think a lot of people expected, you know, having uh, being a book that's divided in sections and having two writers that each section would be like written by someone different. But it's not like we both wrote them together all the way through. So hmm. it, it, that's kind of why uh, one of the compliments that I got inadvertently was, wow, this doesn't feel like two writers writing it. It feels like well, just like one single one voice. voice. And it, it is it, 100 percent. We wrote it together. And each story does feel contained, like it's focused, but you feel like it's part of the larger world. So there's not a lot of, there's enough to know that it's connected, but not too much to where it's gets too heavy. So that's what I loved about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Iron, Iron Rain of Books had a question. Is this book similar to the Fable video games? Oh, as someone who has played the Fable video games, uh, probably not really. I guess those are a little more... Uh, progress based these are more like um i I would i would really compare it more to uh, a collection of fairy tales um that are or folk tales i guess a collection of folk tales that are uh kind of interweaved by a a thread a a thematic thread and they Hmm. do kind of take place you know over the course of a year each part uh uh, in case people didn't know each part um covers uh, a different season it goes from fall all the way to summer weave in and out like you'll see the same characters pop up repeatedly and interact with each other in different ways i haven't played the fable video games though so i feel like i can't really answer <laughs> i keep hearing how great they are i've never played them and i i always feel like i should have because i've been hearing about them for years but yeah so i can't can't uh, relate there but uh Redima says i've played a little fable i think it does have a similar vibe in terms of making choices and the consequences morals of those choices I, yeah, that, that definitely I could see. That was definitely a theme that we really consciously tried to hit again and again is just that idea that, you know, you're living in this fantasy environment. And I feel like one of the conceits of a lot of fantasy work is that, you know, everything is connected in some way. And we really played off of that idea, not just with having the characters be connected, but also all of their actions ultimately affect everyone in their community mm-hmm. so i just type in the names here so i don't lose track of the names <laughs> <laughs> uh and brandy asked so will, will there be more yeah was, that was one of my questions too is uh <laughs> is this a series is it a trilogy but what are the plans for the for this series um well, yeah, 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 it's it's called the uh, the Eight Chance series, uh, and you can see it on uh, Amazon whenever you purchase the book. And uh, we are currently in the process; we're about a third of the way through in the process of writing the sequel. First draft, yeah. yeah for first draft, <laughs> yeah, a, a third of the way through the first draft, not the entire process. Yeah. So we definitely uh, we still have a ways to go. Um, we're in the process of recording and releasing the audiobook for Seasons of Albedon, mm-hmm. so that's kind of been the hurdle we're trying to get past before we can really devote all of our energy on the sequel. Um, but that is in the works. We're definitely working on it. 
Yeah, and hurdle as in she's recording uh, the book yes. herself. Well, <laughs> oh, we're doing cool. it ourselves. Yeah, I, I, I'm doing all the mixing and mastering. I've got a little bit of background in that. And she's reading uh, every other part. So part uh, one and four, yeah, which are the whatever. female point of views. Uh, and then the male point of views are being uh, read by uh, Michael, a good friend. Uh, he's really, really, really excellent. He's got one of those radio voices, you know, that just yeah. makes your other audiobook reader super insecure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's doing a great job. And yeah, it's sounding really good. It's probably going to be released around the one year anniversary of uh, Seasons of Abaddon, which uh, is in November. Uh, and then we'll really focus in on the sequel. Uh, and obviously, as, as I mentioned, there was that original uh, high fantasy Game of Thronesy book that I was uh, uh, writing a while ago. And everything that we've been writing so far kind of leads to that. Um, so I do have, you know, a third book planned. And I think mm. I think it's going to be about four books is what I kind of have planned. Maybe yeah. we'll see. We'll see if it goes beyond there. But I definitely I think. You know, people who maybe read the first book and were like, oh, this isn't what I'm used to with fantasy. Um, I would definitely encourage them to pick up the second book that we're going to do because it might be more like what they expect. Hmm. Um, I, we're, we're going in kind of a different direction with it, but we're still keeping the, the heart of, you know, everything is going to be really character based. We have, you know, like some sort of message in each book, but a little bit more maybe what people expect definitely longer so, Wait, much longer at much least longer. Yeah, yeah at least twice the size yeah we've yeah. already almost written as much as albadone and we're not even like halfway through the book so <laughs> oh cool it's gonna There's be a chunky yeah. oh, i'm sorry uh, oh, i just said it's gonna be a chunky one <laughs> chunky monkey yeah chunky and it, there's something really special about when an author narrates their own audiobook. There's just something about it that is just you can't replicate it. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, definitely. I hope that remains true after you hear this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure it'll be good. Uh, uh, reading and whatnot is here. She said, what's the best and worst part about reading reviews about your work? Ooh, um, that's, that's a good a question. question. Do you want to take it or? Uh, okay. So for me, um, yeah, definitely the best part is, I mean, when anybody compares you to another author that is like well-known and that you like, oh my gosh, is that flattering? That's like, like, you know, peak dopamine release of just <laughs> pure joy. Um, <laughs> I would definitely say the um, the the worst part is hard to think of because we, like thankfully we've had very uh, kind reviewers I guess like even if people didn't necessarily resonate with it um, they weren't like oh this is trash you know they were very <laughs> polite about being like I'm not into this but I could see other people being into this uh, we mm -hmm. did get one review early on <laughs> that I I don't really take it personally because no, it was. It was obviously a like a trolling kind of thing where we had, you know, posted that our book was free and somebody without even downloading or reading the book was just like one star, don't like it, bad book, you know. Yeah, oh, just yeah. right. Yeah. We and then went, that happens, you know. <laughs> we we actually, you know, went through their past reviews and we looked up like they'd given 
they'd given like some book like a three-star review and then written like a page and a half about how much they hated it. And I was just like, and you gave us one star and just said it sucked? Like, come on. <laughs> Give me some. Yeah, that's we're very petty when it comes to reading. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Super I, I mean, yeah. personally, like, uh, yeah, we really haven't had, we've had our almost overwhelming positive reaction to the book, which, you know, even, even the, you know, negative reviews, they're very positive. They're like, yeah, like, this, warm. yeah, they're yeah. like, this wasn't for me. I was expecting something either, either from the cover, I was expecting something more YA uh, or something with a little, little more action. Whereas we wrote this very, you know, uh, emotionally based character study um, rather than something that's quest based, I guess. Yeah, the cover does kind of give the impression that this is kind of a quest, yeah. which is kind of what we try. We're going to try to rectify with the sequel, with the sequel. is so it's like, going to be a quest based book. A lot book. of times, yeah. like I have, I have such like a sense of just, you know, I get like kind of pettiness mixed with pride of like, you know, those people that didn't really resonate with the first book. I'm kind of like, you know, we're coming after you with the sequel. Tell me you don't like the sequel, then we'll talk. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get you. <laughs> but as far as positive reviews, yeah, the, the dopamine, I get, I, especially when someone really um, resonates or understands what we were going for. Uh, I think uh, mo most recently, Benjamin, uh, his review, it, it kind of took my breath away. I was like, this is someone who really understood what we were going for. And he actually, uh, he said some words that you know uh specifically regarding you know the, the our use of the word uh the cost throughout it uh it's very much about you know uh cost uh results uh from uh, deriving from actions and he really caught on to that and as i was watching his review on youtube uh, and even reading it he posted a much longer one on goodreads i was like this is someone who really not only resonated with our work this this is a person that you know he got what we were going for and and that really i don't know that that kind of touches a part of me that I, I never you know thought was there i guess if for lack of a better word it's uh it, I, I i it's weird calling yourself an artist but you know as an artist having my art understood it really feels good yeah yeah, yeah i bet uh fit to be read said i'm not much of an audiobook listener but if i were i would definitely much prefer having the author reading versus another voice talent I agree. Uh, definitely. I, I think I'm trying to think like, did no, actually, I don't think I've ever read or listened to an audiobook. I've never listened where to the... an audiobook with the author actually reading it. Yeah. And I know they exist. I know they're out there. I just haven't personally encountered one, I guess. Yeah. If anyone has recommendations on it, please, I'd love to hear them because that I'm sounds awesome. I'm audiobook listener. Yeah. We oh, listen to a lot of that. audiobooks together. Uh, our friend uh, Jeff Lane, he's <clears throat> he wrote one way in the the Champion Saga. He, he um, I, I don't really listen to audiobooks audiobooks much, but he narrated his books, uh, the, this paper world and this Bernie world. And when I go on bike rides and things, I'll listen to his book because it's him narrating it. It's something really cool about it. So yeah. I kind of got a kick out of that. So that's one uh, suggestion. <laughs> one way is really good. His book, One Way. Uh, also, one, uh, uh, yeah. I was going to say a, a plus of having the author read their own novel is it's free. Well, besides how it's no, free, <laughs> it's also, you know, uh, and I had it on such a smaller <laughs> scale because obviously our book is very short. Uh, there aren't that many terms like in a lot of fantasy, you know, a jargon and uh, fantasy lingo. 
Um, so whenever I, I had to explain it to Michael, how, how to, you know, read certain uh, names of towns and name of, names of characters that started realizing, oh, we didn't have to do that because the author already <laughs> knows how to pronounce everything. <laughs> well, but honestly, though, that was part of the process is like we, you know, came together and when we were making the book, we would both read it. You know, he would he would write like the chapter or something. I would go in, I would do my whole like markup process. We would discuss some things that like maybe I thought I had ideas for how to change certain things and stuff like that. But we didn't really discuss like names or places or things. So we, we each had a vision of what these things were called in our own heads. And so a fun part of the audiobook was kind of coming together and being like, okay, what is this person's name? Yeah. How do we pronounce it? I say this? it one way and you say it another way. And we kind of have to come together and agree on this. Yeah. We did a pass of the book, uh, you know, singling out every name, every city name, every town name, uh, the names of the magic. Uh, one of the hard ones was there's a lot of um, uh, chanting that happens that is oh God, in that is in a <laughs> in a very specific ancient <laughs> language and she had her obviously she had to read that for the audiobook and and of course he he in, was inspired by most of the chanting you know because he's he's italian uh in background he's from italy and so that was heavily influenced in how he designed the chanting it's very like latinate um and uh yeah i i had a hard time with that so <laughs> Anybody yeah. listening to the audiobook, uh, those those chants just uh, get through them because yeah. they were hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Redima mentions uh, Donna Tartt's Secret History. One of the versions is read by her. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. And also, oh, also me. Neil Gaiman has a couple. Oh, that, that could be either. fun. I yeah, Neil Gaiman. He would be great to listen to an audiobook with. I love his voice. Yeah, he does have a good voice. Mm -hmm. And his books are really fun. So that could be a really fun experience. Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, Neil Gaiman, reading whatnot, also mentions uh, Neil Gaiman reads most of his books and they are amazing. Listen to his stuff. Okay. You know what? I think I actually have listened to him read The Ocean at the End of the Lane. Oh, did you really? I think I did. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's so awesome. There we go. Yeah, it's a good one. And he did a fantastic job. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I did a I did an okay job. You did it. You did a good job. She's really good. She's oh yeah. I bet she uh, she tapped into that uh, podcast voice and there's there's just no quicker way to reveal every insecurity you've ever had about your voice than to just try to record an audiobook. Yeah, it just yeah. brings every everything out of the woodwork. You know. I bet you notice every little thing. You know, you when you when you really break it down, you notice every um and us and. Oh, you know, the every, worst every part word. was Chris pointed out that <laughs> I am super Midwestern when I say the word mountain, you know, like no T, there's no yeah, mountain, mountain, you know, mountain. That's how I say it. <laughs> and and I didn't notice that until he was just like, oh, just so you know, I, every time you say mountain, it just sounds just so midwestern and i was like great now i'm gonna be insecure about that for never forever. never point out that kind of thing don't do it just don't do it just let people pronounce things the way they want that's what i've learned from this mountain mountain it just, that's how you like how do you say mountain no mountain it sounds weird like plantain mountain do you say plantain I, I probably would, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So when, when there is a word that you mispronounce or you misspeak or um, do you have to go back and re-record it or how does that work? Do you have to, ch can you chop it up and, and dub it or like, you know, cut out a piece or do you have to do a whole? Yeah. Sometimes you have to redo the whole line so that it sounds natural. Sometimes you can Frankenstein it a little bit, you know, and chop little pieces in and it fits. Um, sometimes I mean you come back to it and you have a totally different voice which hmm. it, that's another thing I never realized until we were recording an audiobook is like your voice changes throughout the month. And like, there's some weeks where I'll have like a really deep voice. And then there's some weeks where like, I just can't hit that register at all. So yeah. yeah so so re-recording them, sometimes you, you'll, you'll listen to them back to back, you know, the, the original piece and the re-recorded piece and they sound completely different. It's like, is this even the same person? <laughs> and so, yeah, you don't notice, you know, the weather can affect your voice. What you've had for lunch can affect your voice. Uh, if you've had anything to drink, you know, like uh, alcoholic beverages, they, they relax your vocal cords. Mm -hmm. So just, oh, yeah. yeah, just anything uh, can affect that kind of thing. Yeah. And then sometimes we've had, um, the last chapter that we recorded, the final chapter of the book, uh, she did such a good job. Like we we were feeling it. We were, you know, we were going through it. Did such a such a great job. And then re-listening to it, there's this electric buzzing throughout the oh, whole no. thing, just constant. And I, I to this day, I don't know what caused that. It's like a static. Uh, I tried to, you know. Uh, use like deessers or denoisers and nothing nothing would fix that uh to where you know the, the quality of her voice started degrading so we just had to re-record the whole thing and that was yeah. kind of heartbreaking but she yeah. still did a really good job the second time around oh that's gotta be really frustrating yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah we also had a family of crows that just <laughs> moved into our neighborhood recently and um they start cawing at around the time when we're recording which is super helpful yeah <laughs> it's usually around this time i'm surprised they're not out today this I would know, have been right yeah usually they would be cawing already yeah, yeah 4 so. p.m pacific they just start cawing right outside there's a tree right outside our, our window and i really want to become their friends i keep thinking of things to like leave on the porch <laughs> to like get on their good side you know yeah, maybe they'll leave you alone for a while maybe uh, or they'll yeah. just bring me shiny things either of those two options is great for me bonus so. <laughs> uh, uh, fit to be read mentions I listened to the William Gibson narrate audio uh, narration narration of na uh, Neuromancer and helped me enjoy the reading experience as a supplement the inflection and tone makes things more un understandable the intent okay yeah that's interesting I definitely I definitely see that and that's definitely a part of like how I read it I do definitely have a very specific like tonality for things and like a way of presenting the characters. <laughs> I don't do character voices necessarily, but I kind of do. So I hope people enjoy that. Yeah, that was one of the things that, you know, you, you always want to do a voice for the characters, but then you realize, no, this is, it's not a, you know, it's just an audiobook. It's not, you're not trying to really, to really get into that. And my voice, but I have yeah. like a certain way that I read those lines. Yeah. yeah. So it was a lot about, you know, finding these characters' oh, yeah. voices. Uh, a lot of characters were way diff difficult than others. So yeah, you had you had a hard time with Mother Ola at the beginning. Yeah, and it took you know I I just told her just just get through these lines. We'll re-record them once you find her voice. And it took about chapter three, took and then you three, she yeah. really started reading like it just kind of clicked, and mm -hmm. she really started giving her her own characterizations and her own voice without you know overacting or anything like that. 
because right. it's, it's not an audio drama it's an audio book uh and uh yeah once that clicked i was like wow okay let's go back and re-record every every uh one of her lines and mm -hmm. do it this way you you got it yeah that was awesome so i have to ask was it hard some of the mother ola lines in the first couple of chapters was it hard to not laugh when uh <laughs> there's a couple of funny lines in, uh, that she has in the first few chapters <laughs> If I may, yeah. there, there's this one line, and it's not even a line. It's a sound she makes, and it's written in the in the book, and it's one of her first lines. It's written in the book, all caps, and it's just B A H exclamation point, like a ba. Ba. And I, I'll tell you, that was the hardest, <laughs> hardest line to get right. Just that one sound. I think we might have re-recorded it like, like 20, 30 times. times yeah. yeah, just to get through that. It's such a throwaway, like little line, and. I mean, that was right when I was like really struggling to find her character. And like, especially when you're the writer of the book too, these people like live inside of you. You picture what they look like, what they sound like. And, you know, for me, Mother Ola definitely did not have a voice like even remotely similar to mine. And so trying to translate that into reading her with my voice it just felt wrong a lot of times. And so it was like a really difficult thing to try to figure out like, you know, how can I hit that in a way that like is still me, but also her also. I think gesticulating yeah. kind of helped you a little bit. Oh, tons. Yeah, yeah, I had to stop like wearing any bracelets or anything because like most of the lines I delivered and I was just like oh. doing this with my hands the whole time. And the rattles, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. plus I, yeah, I would imagine that once you start once you find the voice for a certain character, it's you have to reproduce it every time they have dialogue. Was that tough yeah. to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like I wasn't doing, um, I, I think like part of why I wasn't doing voices voices was because that would have been even more difficult, but even just hitting the right tone. Like there were times when, you know, especially when you're reading an audiobook or something, you'll just like read a line and then at the end of the line, it says, you know, Adriel said sadly or whatnot and like that's really important information when you're reading the dialogue <laughs> so there was a lot of like reading through it getting to the end and then being like well I read that wrong wrong person let's try again <laughs> yeah it, it got to the point where I started um kind of going through the the book and just highlighting yeah. um the characters dialogues in different colors, in different colors. just that so she really would helpful. knew yeah so she yeah. knew beforehand who was going to speak uh, but yeah, th those moments of, you know, she snarled angrily and then you're like, oh, why did I read that happily? So go back and, you know, <laughs> there's a constantly catching up with yourself. Right. But yeah, Ola was a fun one. I think she embodied her very well. And and yeah, there, there were a few moments at the beginning where, you know, uh, like Ola just declaring that she has to go take a shit yeah which which someone actually complimented me and told me i don't think i've ever read a fantasy novel where someone said they were gonna go take a shit and i was like okay more right. shit in fantasy novels right. I, I don't know if i can say that and sorry my apologies no you're fine no I, okay <laughs> no it was uh one of the it, i was it made me laugh out loud when i read that because you don't expect to you know that kind of character to say something like that so Right. It, was a, it was a good one. It was a good I one. Thought I thought that went really like hand in hand with the whole idea of taking like NPC characters and making them into the focal point of fantasy stories. It's like, you know, why are we not pooping in these stories? More, <laughs> more pooping all the time. <laughs> Everybody poops. So <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Even fantasy characters. Even fantasy even, characters poop. Even, even the chosen one. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, let no mentions goodness. I hate the sound of my own uh, ums and uhs. I can't. Well, thankfully, one of the things that you can, you know, that you don't do with uh, audiobooks is you don't actually have a lot of ums and uhs because you are actually reading. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. There's no moment where you actually have to think about what's coming next because you are reading it off the script. Uh, so that's pretty easy. It's more actually. Um, it's more misreading things. It's more misreading things and going back. Or uh, one thing that tends to happen a lot, especially if you've been reading for a while and or, or you've just had a, a drink of water and you don't notice this whenever you're first, you know, recording it. But whenever you're actually, you know, re-listening to it, especially with headphones, is there's a lot of wet sounds and nobody wants wet, you know, wet sounds in their audiobooks. It's kind of not great. A little ASMR moment. Yeah, a little ASMR. Yeah. Yeah, so sometimes you can fix them if there's silence you can just cut that out um but if it's you know in the middle of a sentence and you, you got to re-record that because i know that irritates a lot of people some people like yeah. it they get asmr out of it but you don't want that in an audiobook not it's, everybody wants that. it's not it's for the general public yeah <laughs> And I was wondering about uh, so when was the intention to always self-publish, or did you did you think about getting published from a, a major publisher? Um, we were always pretty much yeah. self-pub. Yeah, we were pretty set on that. It was yeah. always just it, it, very DIY. I always I, I believe a lot in DIY. I always done DIY. I was in bands. You know, we self-recorded, self-produced, self-released. Uh, same thing with filmmaking. Uh, we've done several short films. Always DIYs. Uh, um, even with this one, why not? You know, uh, I, I have a lot of background in, you know, um, uh, just marketing specifically with, uh, the films that I've done. I have, um, uh, obviously we failed the Kickstarter for the, the film that we did for this one, but we, I did, you know, successfully completed another Kickstarter and that taught me a lot when it comes to like marketing and being active on social media. So, uh, I took a lot of the lessons that I've learned through, you know, having bands and doing films and working on that kind of stuff. Uh, and brought it into uh, the book scene, and it's all the same. It's all about just mm-hmm. you know being active uh, online, and uh, and yeah, self pub. Um, once I learned what that was, because it, I don't know, it, it it's pretty big right now, but it's still a pretty fresh thing that people have been doing, and and only recently. I mean, whenever I started writing this, nobody was really reviewing self pubs on YouTube, or and this was just a year ago. Just a year ago, it, it wasn't very common at all. And now, you know, especially with things like the uh, self-pub uh, fantasy blog off and uh, that kind of stuff, really kind of going into the mainstream of BookTube. Um, I think self-pub are kind of being looked at through another lens. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I think that there are a lot of exciting self-pub books out there that kind of excite me a little bit more than trad pub because they can be a little bit more daring. They can uh, kind of push the envelope a little bit more or they can tell stories uh, of NPC characters in a folklore, low magic setting like we did, that's completely character based. And I don't think anyone would have really, you know, sought to publish this traditionally, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of what I read is self pub um, since I started reading and or since I really started reading a lot more at the beginning of the year and started the YouTube stuff because it's, I, you, it's what the creator wanted. It seems like, like you mentioned, there's less constraints. There's no, there's no one over their shoulder saying you, you can't do this, you can't do that. This isn't marketable, or this isn't popular right now. You have to change this to this. So I, I really love that. Whether it's I enjoyed or not, I love that it's their vision and not 
something that they had to change. So yeah, I appreciate it. And that. granted, I will say though, that there is something, you know, there is a positive and there is something to be said about having a group of people behind you kind of supporting you like, you know, a publishing company does, they, they, they support yeah. their, their authors. And a lot of times they will, you know, give them very valuable advice when it comes to uh, hitting certain beats in their story to be marketable. Uh, uh, even with, you know, book covers, which we also learned a lot about. And, uh, you know, the publishing companies, they do, a, you know, a lot of good in that fair, aspect. Yeah, they do a fair job. I think like the biggest, the biggest thing for, you know, I think drawing us towards the self-pub market was that uh, Chris just happens to have a lot of really great social media marketing experience already to draw from. And I think that's a lot of what you're paying for in the traditional published market is you're you're paying for someone to uh you know manage things on the social media spectrum and you know it does take a lot of uh, it, it is a, it's like a full-time job like you know chris will check our um the tags that we're using on our book and he will you know make sure that they're actually getting us traffic and if they're not he'll substitute them with mm. other tags and you know like keeping up with that kind of thing and and constantly being present online that that is kind of its own full-time job in addition to being a writer and i think like there's something to be said i think for kind of our like this newer generation that's that's coming up you know we're we're more familiar with that already and i think we kind of have an advantage over uh, some of the older generations that, you know, were entering a publishing market and they needed to outsource that kind of thing because it, it just wasn't worth their time to familiarize themselves with that whole process and how to network in the net environment. But we kind of already come from social yeah. media and I think that's a real advantage. And that's, I think, kind of why self-pub has been having such a renaissance. Mm -hmm. Or not even renaissance, uh, uh, a naissance. Yeah, like not even a renaissance, a renaissance. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a term for pre-renaissance? The uh, first thoughts? Yeah, a first, uh, a first, first wave. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely, yeah, definitely that. A lot of self-pub people are, especially the ones that are successful, they're very active online. Mm -hmm. They're they're very, they have a good presence. Uh, they're very well well liked, and uh, uh, they. You know, they check their stuff. They don't really outsource a, a lot of their marketing, and some do, but mo the most most of them really don't. Most of them are just very active on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, on all these uh, groups, Discord, um, and yeah, yeah. As she said, a lot of the the older guard they don't really do that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess uh, one of the uh, exceptions to the rule is you know Brendan Sanderson. He does a lot of uh, uh, he's very active, especially with videos and classes and all that kind of stuff uh, on his YouTube page. Uh, which is you know very refreshing for an author of his caliber to do that but not and a lot of people do. Pub, you know? he's he not self-pub yeah he might have a you know his publisher's assistant or something is coaching him through how to do that you know yeah i don't know yeah. but it, I, I like the DIY scene. i'm i'm i like being self-reliant and doing that kind of stuff it's it's very fun for me to market and Seems like a lot of work to to do that, and it's it's nice to do it yourself. But it sounds like it's very time consuming and lots to lots to consider. So yeah. definitely, uh, it's a lot lot involved. And we mentioned social media. Is there are there certain because it's it's a great tool because we wouldn't be having this conversation without it. But are there other ways that you you use social media responsibly or in a healthy way that not to get too sucked into it? Because there's a another side to social media that can be negative for some people. Um. 
Yeah, no, definitely. And and even for me, you know, like a, a lot of times I'll, I'll realize that I've been, you know, so focused on the marketing aspect of our writing. Uh, and then I realized, wait, all, this hour I could have been, you know, th that I, I didn't learn anything in this hour about marketing or, or, or about my book. I just spent it on there, just making sure that I'm getting engagement. Um, it, it's, you know, the monitoring part of it, which you should be monitoring it if you're, you know, if you're doing it. But there is a line that you can cross and, and suddenly you realize, oh, this is all time I could have been spent, you know, writing my next book, uh, editing the audiobook, And uh so, so there is something to be said about, you know, how, how much time I spend on it. And yeah, uh, and I know that a lot of self-pub uh, authors do spend more time on social media than, you know, your average person, which I think the average person already spends a lot of time on social media. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there is something to be said about, you know, th that line between, mar uh, between work and pleasure. Uh, and after a while, you know, yeah, social media stops being, you know, about having fun. And it start, starts being about, you know, uh, uh, creating engagement with the book. Mm. And that can be kind of tedious and um, yeah. break your spirit a little you bit. You kind of have to balance it out because, like, you know, if you were traditionally published, you'd have somebody that would be, like, concentrated on that social media kind of stuff. And then you would just be free to write all the time. But when you're trying to kind of wear both hats at the same time, you really, really have to be careful about your scheduling. And you have to set like really hard limits on, you know, this is the time I'm going to spend on marketing, which is super important. Um, but also this is the time I'm going to spend on writing, which is just as important. If not I mean, more. Yeah, they go hand <laughs> in hand and you have to find that balance, I think. Um, yeah. and, and honestly, I'm just, you know, really lucky that I can tap into you on that because like, <laughs> literally I am like, not on social media except for Facebook, which is super old of me. She's a boomer at heart. I am a boomer at heart. <laughs> <laughs> but if so only fun. there were two, only two hats, because there yeah. are so many more hats. Because yeah. you know you're also doing uh, advertising through Amazon, which is its own beast, uh, and it's it, it's tedious. It's 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 hard. Uh, I've had several months where my, my ads were pulled because mm. my book got mistakenly uh, classified as erotica and uh, Amazon does. Yeah. And, and, and Amazon doesn't allow ads for uh, erotica books. And uh, yeah, that was a whole thing. That was a whole thing. To take that tag off. Oh my yeah. Gosh. Because you're not allowed to view on Amazon. You're not allowed to view your book's metadata. Um, so mm. somehow, an erotica metadata <laughs> snuck in because someone searched for erotica books, saw an ad for seasons of Abaddon and clicked on it. So that happened. It, it just, it's automatic. <laughs> um, and then they pulled our ads and I had a contact to Amazon and it was, they kept, they kept telling me, well, why did you classify your book as erotica? If you, if it's not erotica, I said, I didn't, it's, it just happened. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. It was, it was a whole back and forth. So, you know, there's advertising, marketing, and it's a lot. It's and also the audiobook, which we could have, you know, given to someone else to do. But, you know, in the DIY spirit, we did it ourselves. And it's a lot of work. Well, that's that had to have been really frustrating and hilarious at the same time. It, yeah, it really was. It really was. Yeah. yeah. Like I you remember calling my parents and I was just like, we can't get our book to stop being erotica. 
They just keep <laughs> labeling it as that. And then when we would point it out, they would be like, well, your problem is you're labeled as erotica. And we were like, yeah, that's what we're telling you. That's, that is the problem. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was just a back and forth of, you know, us saying the same thing over and over again. Oh, they, they would tell us the thing that we knew and we would tell them, yes, Correct because it. it's, you know, it, it was a mess, yeah. but thankfully we got that settled and um but yeah a amazon advertising is needlessly complicated and hmm. uh, it's it's very metadata driven and you as an author don't actually have any access to that metadata so it's it's pretty hmm. pretty tough that's strange if a uh, if an author that wanted to get self-published and wanted to kind of start this process what if they came to you for advice what would be your advice um, well, first of all, uh, because, you know, be, because you are self-pubbed, uh, and you have all this freedom of not having anyone, you know, on your, on you, just, you know, uh, telling you what you should write and all that, that's great and all. But my first advice before you even publish would be have people read your work, have, uh, and, and not just, mm -hmm. you know, any people you, you could have anyone read it, whatever, but make sure your target audience Pe pe yeah, if you're yeah. gonna if you're gonna self pub a fantasy, make sure fantasy fans that you trust uh, and some that you don't even know, make sure you, they like your book. Make sure that because I we had people read our book like uh, better readers mm -hmm. that read it and said, "Hey, this part doesn't make any sense." As a fantasy mm -hmm. reader, this part just doesn't jive, and and they were right. At the end of the day, you want people to enjoy. You you can have all the freedom in the world, but you want people to enjoy what you what you wrote. So make sure you have beta readers. That's yeah. super important because you don't have the luxury of having a publishing company, you know, support you in that aspect. Right. So get as many eyes on that book as you can before you release it. Um, hmm. Each person that you have read it will give you um, valuable insight into you know like even if it's not a change that you need to make it might just be something you need to be aware of about your book um so yeah definitely having people read it and then and then i would say you know like look at the the whole writing process if you're gonna try to do self-pub um like think about 50 percent of your work is writing the book editing and finishing all the stuff that has to do with the actual product the book the other 50% that I think a lot of people aren't willing or ready for is the marketing. So like, because you're not going to be traditionally published, that has to fall on you and you have to kind of learn something about search engine optimization and uh, tags and mm -hmm. market research. And, you know, those kind of things that people kind of think of as secondary to writing a book. Um, those are really, really important. If you're self-published, mm -hmm. uh, you kind of have to do that. So there's also, yeah, there's a lot of trial and error. Um, mm -hmm. a lot of things that, you know, I, I know not to do my second time around. Like one of the biggest advices, uh, that I could give is, and this is something that I see a lot of first time self-pub authors do at the very beginning is they push for pre-orders and they push mm -hmm. for marketing the book before it's released you're a nobody. Nobody cares about pre-ordering a mm -hmm. book from a nobody self-pub. Like, so, sorry to burst the bubble, but sorry, I'm not talking to you, Steve. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a writer, but, no, yeah. but no, I'm, I, no offense to you. To first-time writers, sorry to burst your bubble, but nobody cares about pre-ordering the book 
to you know of a nobody really because you're, you're no you've, you haven't written anything this is your first time around and i i didn't know this i spent so much money on advertising my book for pre-order to only get what three pre-orders and this was mm -hmm. a month in advance it's a waste of time just release your book and then build hype from that because nobody nobody knows who you are and and it, like it's different from you know brandon sanderson pre you know pre-ordering the next stormlight archive book sure everyone wants to get on that pre-ordering seasons of abaddon by christopher warman and alain marche who, who <laughs> are these people that, yeah. nobody knows who these people are so so yeah don't focus too much on the pre-order aspect release your book whenever it's ready and then just start marketing as a released book and then a, a piece of advice we've actually received from other self-published authors uh, that we've talked to and you know spoken with about the process is that the best way to uh, you know get more traction for your first book is to write a second book. <laughs> yeah. So they, that that really proves that you're a creator that's consistent and that's going to produce content. So like if you're someone who's published a first book, there's nothing better you can do for yourself than to publish a second book. <laughs> yeah, because people are going to want to yeah. read the second book and to do so, they have to read the first one. Right. So suddenly they're like, oh, let's read this first book. And and one thing that Amazon, you know, I criticize them a lot in, in their platform. But one of the things that they do allow you to do is to bundle releases. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I know uh, and, and to me, the peak of self-pub Authors is Will Wright with the Cradle series. That guy knows marketing. My God, does he know marketing? There's a reason why, as a self-pub author, he has that many reviews and that many, you know, uh, on both Goodreads and Amazon. Like the, the guy knows how to push his books. And the best thing that he could have done was write two, three, four, five. What is he up to? Eight books in the series at this point. It's quite and a one few. thing that yeah, quite a few. And, and and one of the things that Amazon allows you to do is to bundle those books together. So he's been mm -hmm. repackaging his books with new covers where it's, you know, buy this one and you get the first three books and it's at the same price of one of the books. So by doing that, he increases traffic and uh, he increases his reviews and his revenue. And the guy is brilliant. The guy's a genius. And uh, now I'm realizing I hate talking about books in a revenue way. But yeah, if you're trying to be an author, you're obviously trying to make a living off of these books. But um, yeah, there, there are a lot of techniques that you can do. Yeah. And um, yeah, learn from Will Wright, write eight books. And particularly, I think for the fantasy genre, there are like a lot of fans of fantasy that are looking for like a grand epic that they can get involved with. They want, you know, something that's going to be an escape for more than just 200 pages or so, you know, they want to be involved in like this big series and they will wait. They will not buy your book until you've made this series that they want, you know, to read. Yeah. And so like, those are the patient waiting in the wings kind of people that are just like cheering you on for your second book, even if they haven't read your first, because they, they would love to read it. They just want it to be more. Yeah. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And have you, uh, have you thought about writing other genres other than fantasy? Uh, maybe. Yeah. Like that's definitely something I would be willing to explore in the future. I feel like I have a lot of like, 
college ideas for like weird character study novels that I have just like saved in a document somewhere that I'm just like one one day I feel like I'll revisit that and maybe write something I, t I tend to like like very like boring like stereotypically <laughs> boring books <laughs> not that boring they they're a little drier, I but... like slice of slice of life kind of novels, and so I have a couple ideas for that that I might get around to at some point. But I'm definitely really enjoying writing in the fantasy genre. It's a little bit more swashbuckling than what I'm used to, so I like yeah. that. Um, personally, I mean, we both have a um, a background in film. Uh, we both have film degrees, um, so, whatever that means, but. Uh, uh, I, I, back in the day, whenever I, I, I wanted to be a writer, I was focusing a lot more on screenplays. So I have a lot of screenplays, a lot of features that are just kind of sitting in a folder. And uh, uh, I, I enjoy writing prose a lot more these days. So um, there's a good chance that some of them might be converted into um, kind of a prose. Uh, maybe some of them might become short stories or something. Yeah. Like uh, uh, I have a uh, like a gothic uh, horror ghost story style, uh, haunting of Hill house style, uh, um, short story that I, I wrote as a screenplay that it, it might end up being a prose eventually, but definitely mm -hmm. want to focus on this series first, the fantasy series. <laughs> Do you have a uh, favorite fantasy series? Oh man. Uh, oh, me, me, uh, personally, <laughs> uh, I, I read a lot. Uh, I used to not read. And then, uh, I, uh, I I used to work two hours away by train from where we live. Mm -hmm. So it was four hours of commute a day, uh, sometimes a little bit less, but usually around that. So at first I would be on my phone all the time. And then I realized that I, I should be reading. So I went from being a non-reader to just being a super avid reader. I read, you know, A Song of Ice and Fire, read Wheel of Time. Uh, um, I, I think I'd say probably Wheel of Time is my favorite because it's the only completed series that i've read uh it's hard for me to judge an, an incomplete series uh, even though obviously song of ice and fire is very iconic and very very good uh but currently i'm reading uh realm of the uh elderlings i'm reading uh the farseer trilogy and i'm on about halfway through the third book and it's it's blowing me away i've never read anything like it and it's it's fantastic so that's I, I have a good feeling that once I finish all, what is it, 14 books? Um, no, it's it's more. I think it's 18 books or so. Um, I have a good feeling that it's probably going to end up being my favorite series. Hmm. And uh, Christopher, I know you're excited about the Wheel of Time series that yeah, is on Amazon, I believe. Elon, are you excited too about it? I am very excited. It's it's hard to keep him from <laughs> ruining everything because <laughs> uh, he's just so excited to talk about it. Um, and I keep having to remind him, I'm like, I, I don't know these characters. I don't want you to spoiler the plot for me and like, please shut up. But um, <laughs> no, I am, I am very, very excited about it. I watched the trailer and I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on, but I'm here for it. I'm excited. So <laughs> it was, it was hard to, you know, watch the trailer with her and not stop it every five seconds and go, you know, oh, like, that's just so you know, this is the blah, 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 blah. And I was like, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I'll, it's going to be even harder watching the actual show with her. I'll have to just shut up. I'll, I'll just have to, you know, keep them, keep the excitement inside and just let her enjoy it. Because, I, it, you know, as someone who's read the whole series, it's, it's hard to not get, 
you know, excited and yell things out that might be spoilers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, he told me, like, early on, and I, I like, if okay, anybody who hasn't. Oh, maybe, maybe don't. I can't talk about it. Like, I, you know. Oh, okay. Okay, so, like, just shut your ears if you aren't familiar with Wheel of Time. But I know for a fact he told me the horse dies, and that ruined so much <laughs> for me. I haven't even met this horse. I'm already sad. Like, and now I'm going to be sad throughout the whole show. <laughs> the whole thing. I mean, like, he's going to die. Like, why would you do this to me? <laughs> it might not even be until season three or something. So you might be okay for a couple of years. No, no it's like final book. It's, the final yeah, it's, it's quite <laughs> great, a while. Great. No, no, it's, so, yeah. So you have something a, to look forward a, to. a little bomb of sadness waiting for me at the end of that finish line. And I'm so excited to reach that. <laughs> Oh, so I just saw Ritima say, yeah, Realm of the Enderlings is 16 books. I'm very excited to to dive in. And three books in, it's the best series I've ever read. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I love Robin Hobb. Yeah. Uh, my wife, Brandy's reading Robin Hobb now. Yeah, that's, and Alon, yeah she's have, yeah. phenomenal. She's so good. Yeah. And Alon, do you have any Slice of Life recommendations for us, for those of us wanting to get into Slice of Life type of books? Okay, so one of my favorites <laughs> is, uh, it's a book called Stoner by John Williams. Stoner. Uh, yeah, okay. it is me, just about the unremarkable life of a um, underpaid English literature professor. Uh, I read it as a super underpaid English literature major. And I don't know, it just resonated with me. And hmm. um, that's one of my faves. And then as far as fantasy goes, I, again, I'm not like a super dabbler in fantasy, but I do love me some Kurt Vonnegut. And I feel like he's he's on oh. that fantasy edge. He technically kind of sci-fi fantasy. He's adjacent, right? Yeah, a little magic realism and kind of, yeah, strange. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, he has some just out and out sci-fi parts yeah. to his books, you know, like Sirens of Titan and... Um, you know, even parts of other ones, like it just, you know, that, that that's kind of part of it. And so I, I would say he's probably the closest author to just like pure fantasy that I really have read a lot of. Hmm. Uh, My mom actually yeah. dialed him once. <laughs> yeah. It's really it's a, it's a random yeah. story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My mom in college, she was taking a Kurt Vonnegut class and uh, they were in I want to say Iowa, whatever, whatever state he used to live in, they were in that state taking this Kurt Vonnegut class. And one night they got just super, super drunk in their uh, apartment and decided to look him up in the phone book. And they found him there because everybody was listed in the phone book. And so they just gave him a call and they had a full conversation with him. They're not sure what they said. Because they were really drunk, but um, they did talk to him, so that's always fun. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. Kurt Vonnegut in the phone book—who would have thought, right? Right? Yeah. yeah. I feel like now that's kind of unthinkable. It's such an yeah, it's such an old school thing. But this would have been back in like I think the seventies, late seventies. Wow, that's that's pretty neat. Yeah. Pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, privacy has kind of become a whole, you know, big thing now. But yeah, back in the day, it was phone books you could just find whoever you wanted right or whoever you needed even authors apparently yeah, they didn't really have robo calls i think that was part of it mm. <laughs> true just drunk collegiate students calling you in the middle of the night 
I wonder how many drunk, uh, drunk dials, uh, drunk calls Stephen King received in the seventies. Oh, yeah. you know. oh yeah, coked up calls. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I bet. I, I mean, I, I'm sure that you know uh, he got inspiration from something like that. For misery, was you know a super fan a that super was fan. standing yeah. him a little too hard. I'm yeah. sure he got calls from them. Right. I don't want to give. I don't want to spoil anything from the from the book to to ruin the experience for anybody. But I have a question about uh, character deaths. Oh yeah. And how hard is that, or how how do you make them? Um, well, first, is it difficult to kill a character that you've you come to that you've created and you get to know? The second part is uh, how do you make that meaningful without being or, you know, make it have some weight to it? Um, I think uh, I, I think the most important aspect of it is to definitely be on theme because you don't want the character death to feel empty. Um, we really, because, uh, you know, not to spoil too much, there are character deaths, uh, even main character deaths in the book. Um, we always were striving to make sure that every character felt on theme and not empty and vacuous. Uh, just always making sure that there was a means to that end or, 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 or that it was a means to an end and not just mm -hmm. do it for shock value, even though a lot of people were shocked at the, you know, the sudden pace sh shift that happens in <laughs> chapter five, uh, as I'm sure you were. Um, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, just never make it feel like it would, you know, it, it just had to happen. And I, I don't know how else to describe it, but yeah. yeah, it's pretty hard sometimes. Yeah. I, I definitely, I don't, I don't really feel any guilt. No, like, not killing guilt. a character. Like I'm manipulative enough that like, I'll just be like, yeah, people are going to cry about this. This is so sad. Um, but I do uh, like, I feel like my contribution like to the book is always just like maintaining that focus on the bigger themes that we're trying to communicate so my whole thing is, you know, coming into whatever we've written, I'm going to ask like for each part that happens, like, like, what is the point of that? Did we have to do that in order to send the message? And if we didn't have to do that, you know, what are our other options? Is there something that we could do that might send the message better? And so like, I definitely, you know, would never kill off a character just for funsies. Um, but no. if it, if it serves a thematic purpose, no guilt, dead, fine. Yeah. Gu guilt isn't the right word. I, I, I don't feel guilt. Uh, I feel bad, obviously writing it, but, but in a different way, in, in a way where it's, I, I don't know, I almost feel thankful. It's like, I wrote this great character and I'm like, thank they you. Yeah. Thank you. They serve their purpose. Thank you so much for yeah. allowing me to tell your story and this is the end of it and it serves a greater purpose because every character death in the book at least leads into you know a, a spiral of yeah. other events it's mm -hmm. never just it doesn't happen in limbo uh and a lot of them affect things that are happening in the second book even though um you know some of these characters might not appear either because they're dead or because they just don't but a lot of the the you know the consequences of the actions in the first book really do affect yeah. the ones in the second book and, and so on and so forth. Nothing just happens in a, in a vacuum. Yeah. Especially character deaths. Yeah. Well, they were really well done. I, they really touching and surprising. So yeah, it was really great job with that. Yeah. And I, I think that something like this would be a great place for, cause I, people have asked me, where do I start with fantasy? You know, where, where it's really intimidating and there's all these characters and, 
all these really complicated stories and it's kind of like, where do I start? But I think this would be a great place for someone just wanting to get into fantasy just to start and just kind of dip their toes in or someone looking for a change of pace with, it's a really great story, but it's not a ton of POVs and it's not a ton of uh, lore. And it, the I think the prologue is like two pages long, but it yeah, tells you sure. everything you have to know. It's it's enough to yeah. uh, to get you into the world. So yeah, we we really didn't want we wanted to stay away. Uh, you know, kind of staying in the lines of that NPC sort of story. We wanted to stay away from heavy lore. There's a lot of things that are sprinkled in there that just kind of paint kind of a broader picture of what the world might be beyond mm-hmm. um, the forest. Um, but there's not a whole lot of like just hard magic yeah. or, you know, that kind of stuff in it. Like, you know, especially like doing this as a, a fusion project between our two styles, you know, Chris is definitely more familiar with a lot of the, uh, heavier, higher fantasy genre kind of tropes. And, you know, for me, I'm, I'm just loosely aware of them through the general zeitgeist. Like, you know, I've seen a lot of fantasy programming and things like that. I'm familiar with. Tolkien and, um, you know, C.S. Lewis, authors like that. And so for me, like as someone who's not necessarily a fantasy fan, um, I think we were able to kind of approach it in a way that's that's very easy to get into, even if you're not someone familiar with fantasy, because that's definitely where I started with it. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I was like approaching this as like, if I'm not a fan of fantasy, what is there in this story that I'm going to be drawn to? And so I think that was really like my focus is how can we open this up and make it really accessible to everyone? Yeah, I like to kind of describe it as fantasy is just the means mm-hmm. by which we tell these very focused character studies. Yeah. Because I mean, each each character, they're very real people. Uh, I've met, you know, I've met a, a, an alcoholic who, you know, couldn't keep his family together, who, you know, mm-hmm. I've, you know, you've met all these people. I met a, a mother who, you know, just wants to do what's right for her daughter, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, fantasy is just, you know, the icing on the cake, but the cake mm-hmm. is made out of people. <laughs> 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 Sorry. That ana- no, no, no. That is the quote of this interview. <laughs> that, the that, cake is made out of people. That analogy might have kind of gotten away from me there at the end, but yes, the cake is made of people and the icing is fantasy. Let's... <laughs> oh, that's great. I, just, I can't think of anything I would rather sum up this interview with than that line. <laughs> that was great stuff. That has to be in book two. That quote has to be in book yeah. two. <laughs> It should be. It should yeah. be. It'll be a blurb on the back. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the cake is made of people. people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was, uh, that, was, that was really good. I like that. But yeah, I think it's a great place for. Uh, it, I I really enjoyed it. So it's a great place for someone I'm to glad. start fantasy. Yeah. And uh, like I said, the especially the the alcoholic and the addiction side of it really was very well done, and not in a cheaper. Uh, it was very just really got me. So, yeah, I mean, one thing, you know, specifically with, you know, decisions and, and, and that kind of stuff is a lot of times you might think that, you know, an alcoholic is just, you know, doing things randomly. But mm-hmm. Behandel really does believe that what he's doing is the right call at mm-hmm. the moment. You know, it, it, he, he really can't help it. Addiction really is a disease. And we really try to not make it feel cheap or, you know, kind of. It wasn't, yeah, we didn't want to approach it as just a plot point. Yeah. We wanted to really explore what it means and what it's like to be uh, an addict. And, you know, again, I think that, that, that book or that, that part of the book is such a, 
personal one to me because I, mm. I tried to approach it as a film and there's something especially about addiction that I think it's it's so much better when you're able to be in that person's head mm. and to really understand the driving constant urges and the voice that just doesn't it's never silent with addiction um and so yeah i think that was something that yeah. like i just that was a very personal one for me yeah the, the con constant uh justifying of everything is, mm -hmm. is why shouldn't i do this you know it's yeah it's right. a it, it's a tough one it's not a an easy read by any means, but it's, you know, I, I hope it yeah, didn't, it definitely isn't you know, supposed to be. <laughs> no, it's, it's yeah. not supposed to be, but you know, one, you know, going back to the judging the book from the cover, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think a book with that cover had a story like that. And I think that's, that threw off a lot of people, but mm -hmm. you know, learn from our mistakes. It's a great cover. Really, I love our cover. It's a great it. cover. It's yeah. Great. And honestly, like there's a part of me that really, you know, I kind of got interested in the story when he showed me the first, the first season of it um, in, you know, the fall season. And I was reading through it and I was kind of like, oh, this like, you know, fits a lot with like my genre expectations for fantasy. And this is like a chosen one story. And there was something just like about that chapter five when that switch happens where I was like, oh, this is, this is really playing with those tropes, but upsetting them in a, a very specific way. And I kind of like that our 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 cover does that too. It does, you know, yeah. It's, it promises you something that you're used to, and then when you actually read the book, you realize there's a lot more going on behind the scenes. Um, and that that kind of is what interested me in the first place. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that, I think that's. I, I love the cover. I think it's great. So I I didn't really mind the. I didn't, I think I think going. I can see how it, it would throw some people off, but it, that was great. So, no complaints here. Yeah, the but the I, artist was a joy to work with. He was really great, yeah, he's, and he's also working on the the second book cover. Yeah, he's going to draw our second cover. And hopefully, if I can keep them, um, I'll, I'll keep them in theme and have them do all of them. Yeah, that'd be great too. I want to. I know you get you. You both are busy, and I don't want to keep you all night. But I want to thank you for for coming by and chatting with me. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I just wanted to tell you how much I love the book and get to chat with you for a few minutes. So, uh, thanks to both of you for taking time out of your day to come and chat with me for a little bit. Thank you so much for having Absolutely. us. This this yeah. was a, a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for making this such a easy first interview experience. Yeah, oh, definitely. Okay. I feel yeah, like very yeah. experienced hands. <laughs> well, I I try to make them you know relaxed and just uh, as if we were in a coffee shop or a pub kind of feeling. Yeah. Um, just to relax and chat like we would a casual conversation. So. Yeah, this and, was uh, awesome, and um, yeah, hopefully we can come back at some point. This yeah. was great. Anytime you let me know and I will. Yeah. Anytime I'd be more than happy. You let me know when and I'll make time and I'll make myself available. And we did have a couple of uh, entries in the, uh, in the giveaway for the paperback. And I, I should have repeated it a few times, but uh, we did have three entries. So I'll send paperbacks to those three people. So uh, Iron of Rain books. And one of them is uh, my wife entered. So I'm going to buy her a copy <laughs> and, uh, and a fit to be read. So I'll send those uh, three people a uh a paperback copy and also uh you know thanks thanks again for dropping by it's yeah it's been it's been great so hopefully more people read the book and get to experience it all right thank you so much i appreciate yeah, it thank you for having this us. was a pleasure yeah 
So thanks for everybody for coming by and and uh, joining us in the chat and offering some questions or uh, submitting some questions. It's been it's been great. So thanks again, everybody. Hope you all have a great weekend. All right. Bye, everyone. Have a good weekend.